Uh, if you will notice, uh, if you turn uh, the bulletin over to the back page, uh, after our text this morning, you'll see the uh, ordination and installation of Robert Heron. And uh, so this morning, I'm going to pull off the Lord's Prayer uh, that we have um, been doing the last uh, several months. And uh, we will uh, look at a text that is according to the occasion. So if you would, I want you to turn to your bulletin. We print uh, this every week uh, in your bulletin because we believe this is God's Word. It's powerful, uh, even just in the reading of the Word. And so let's read God's uh, Word together. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul. Who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. To reprove and rebuke. And exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth. And wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. This is God's word. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we are thankful for your word. There's not really much to say or to gather together if we don't look at it. Uh, your word, according to the writer of Hebrews, is powerful. It's a double-edged sword that is able to pierce our very soul. So, Lord, uh, we know that that comes with grace. And so we pray for your grace this morning that everyone here we consider the importance of what we're doing. And we're setting aside Rob Heron for the preaching of this gospel that must be preached to every person. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that you would bless uh, Rob in this endeavor. But Father, we pray especially for those uh, this morning who've been ever hearing, uh, but never really hearing. And ever sing, but never sing. Lord, that they would consider the importance of preachers uh, who would preach Christ to them for their salvation. And Father, we who are believers are thankful for faithful ministers who are always pointing us to Jesus, always preaching law and grace. And so, Lord, we pray for the blessing of this time together, and we ask it in your name. Amen. It's a solemn occasion that we're here together today. Um, 
we're here to ordain Robert Johnson Heron. And we are to set him apart through, through the laying on of hands to this great privilege but sobering uh, responsibility to rightly preach the gospel for which he'll be held accountable and the proper administration of the sacraments. Uh, sometimes we can look at a service like this and, and we can see it as a ceremony, just kind of something we do to get a guy ordained. That's the next step after he gets his master's degree or his Ph.D., Rather than seeing the stark reality of a man having hands laid on him that goes all the way back to Moses, the stark reality that he has set forth to preach the gospel to sinners. Now, Rabbi, I thought about preaching on Jeremiah, where Jeremiah's like, hey, I'm but a kid. Who are you calling here? And he tells Jeremiah... I'm calling you to preach to men and do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. But I said not to do that. <laughs> but I wanted to get that in there. <laughs> I want to consider the importance of what is, is happening this morning. Rob is being ordained to be a preacher which is a herald of the good news. And remember, a long time ago, I told this congregation that they had to come up with a different word for teacher because that's rabbi teaching. But really, a minister of the gospel is a herald, and a herald, and the reason they came up with the word, he's simply telling everyone the good news of what has happened. The Christ has come in the world to die for sinners, and that he's raised from the dead, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Rob, it's that gospel that you'll preach. The church has confirmed Rob's calling after years of rigorous work, which I'll mention later. He's had a fruitful internship here at Redeemer as our youth minister, and we are now commissioning him for the task set before him that he must be faithful to discharge. So what a wonderful opportunity before us today to look and what a man looks like who's faithful to God's call. Now, I call such men gospel preachers, and I, I notice we have some that are here today visiting. Um, you'll see them in a minute. I'll ask them to come up. Uh, men who are heralds of the covenant of grace, and I, I always know them when I hear them. I, I can always know the difference between somebody that's almost there with the gospel and somebody who's nailing it. Because they're great at laying us open to the reality of our sin and exposing us for who we really are the way a good doctor would and then applying the, 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 the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ to that soul that's been exposed. It takes, it takes a man who understands this gospel. And you might say to me, well, aren't all people that are ministers, preachers of the gospel... Absolutely not. Uh, matter of fact, Paul tells us in our text that there will be those who will come later and the people, kind of like in Korah's rebellion, they'll go, I, I don't know about this. 
And so rather than looking to God to be faithful, to call a faithful minister of the gospel, they just bypass that process and they begin to look for men who our text says will tickle their ears to tell them what they want to hear. In our case, today we call them life coaches or those who in the name of evangelical preaching is ba- are basically giving us principles for living your best life now. Or preach the, as one book title, the be happy attitudes versus the beatitudes where Jesus is laying our hearts bare and saying to all who read that sermon, I am your only hope. So I have to be uh, brief, and I know for a lot of y'all that's going to be a real shocker if I can do it. <laughs> uh, and I've got five points. Uh, I usually have three, and, but I've got five. And, and, and I do, I'm going to do something I never do. I'm going to do anachronism. Uh, I think that's what you call it. The, the, the call, the charge, the challenge, the cost, and the crown of a gospel preacher. The call, the charge, the challenge, the cost, and the crown. That's all here in our text, very clearly, I think. And the first thing to see is this, the call of the gospel preacher. Notice what uh, Paul is writing to, to Timothy. And notice what he says in verse 1. Look down there at your, at, your, at your Bible that's actually written on that bulletin. I charge you in the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who is the judge living, the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Now, we, we learn uh, in verses 6 and 7 that Paul is clearly, uh, he says, my life is being poured out as a, as a thank offering, and I'm about to depart. And so he is uh, very wisely, as the apostles move off the scene and the word becomes uh, inscripturated, He's passing on to the next generation this this simplicity of this gospel that must be preached. And God in His grace throughout the ages by generation to generation to generation uh, has called men who are faithful to preach Jesus Christ. It's His letter of instruction. A man that He has trained for years is to how to choose men who will be faithful to preach. In fact, Paul earlier in 1 Timothy, if you read it, uh, I mean 2 Timothy 1, chapter 1, he says, he says, no, Timothy, I, I'm moving off. Don't shy up here. Don't pull away. Don't let that, that, that ember that's in you begin to die because I am, you have had hands set upon you, so fan in the flame the gifts that God has given you. I was reading in Hebrews uh, this week, and, and uh, out of my, 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 my Bible that has no verses in it. I love that Bible, by the way. Um, but Hebrews, I just read the Hebrews. And it was really amazing in chapter 5 where he says, uh, basically you're not going to understand any of these things unless you practice them. Faith working itself out in love. And so Paul is telling Timothy... That just as I met Christ, and you've met Christ, and just as I desire to fulfill my calling 
I want you to do the same thing. So there are two aspects of, of this calling under this first point. First, there, there's the call to faith in Christ. Calling, calling, calling. The word vocation doesn't mean job. It means voc- it's vocare in the Latin. It means voice. It presupposes that there's a God who has a voice. And it's created you who have ears, and we hear with our ears, but we cannot hear the gospel apart from the, from the ear of faith. And so the first calling is... As to Jesus. And I'd say this. I would think every man and woman, seriously, that's really been called of God, if you have met Jesus Christ, man or woman, you should, probably one of the first thoughts you have as soon as you really come to understand the gospel is, man, Lord, send me. Send me to the mission field. For you men, send me to seminary to be a minister of the gospel. When I was... Uh, when I was <laughs> Coming out of seminary, Rob, I was being interviewed by RUF to, as to whether I could go to Mississippi State or not. It was my job interview. So I sat down. I got Mary Beth sitting next to me. And I'm sitting in, in this room with all these teaching elders around me, okay, and some ruling elders. And the first question was by a guy named Wayne Herring. And matter of fact, he, he reminded me not long ago if I remember the question. You know what the first question, Rob, to me was, Mr. Farnsworth, I'd like to ask you, uh, are you a Christian? And at first I thought, well, what an odd question to be asking in a minister. But now I don't think it's so odd. Because you see, he's just wanting to know, do you know Jesus? Have you, do you know him? I mean, are you just going to preach the biblical principles and you're going to preach the Bible? Are you going to kind of like a, give an intellectual lecture to where people can go, wow, Jesus Christ is probably the Son of God. I know I've given this illustration before, but that would be like being a Hollywood tour guide. You're the tour guide, and you're on a bus, and you're going around Hollywood, and you're out there on your little microphone with everybody, and, and they're impressed with how much you know about Clark Gable and, and Brad Pitt and whoever the other stars are. And so he's telling you all these things. Uh, but Brad Pitt ain't inviting you inside. You see, because there's a difference between being in that house and somebody be telling you everything about Brad Pitt, but what if, what if somebody knew Brad Pitt? They say, hey, listen, I'll tell you what, I'll take you on inside because I know him. Well, you see, the reason Wayne was asking me that question is basically saying how it would be hard for you to introduce uh, Christ to someone if you don't know him. That's why a lot of us, I mean, Sarah, let me speak to you who are believers. That every, every, do you know that every Christian is supposed to be a herald? Do you understand that? We're all supposed to be witnesses. But maybe we don't ever witness because it's, per, it's not personal. <laughs> That's the first thing. Uh, he, he is called to faith in Christ. But, but the second thing, uh, he's called to be a minister of the gospel. I mean, Paul was called. He met Christ when he saw Jesus raised from the dead. We said this many times. He didn't go, oh, but wait a minute. Let me ask you a few questions here. I'm not sure about this. No. He met Christ. And when he did, whatever he believed before was all out the window. But then God called him to a particular thing to do. And that is to be an apostle of the gospel. Now, let me tell you, every believer in here, if you're, if you're a born-again believer, you, you've not only been called to him, but you've been called with a task to do. This is not just Rob or me. Every one of you 
is members of the body of Christ has a calling. And you should be asking, what is that? Lord, what do you want me to do? Whether you bear tenfold or fortyfold or a hundredfold, that's none of your business. That's the business of God who's called you and given you the Holy Spirit because they're gifts. Right? Everybody needs to be exercising their gift. But then there's this call, particularly, of a minister. And I have to say this because we live in a very populous country like America. We're all populist. Well, we are, aren't we all prophet, priests, and king? Well, of course we are. We have the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you something, and Rob, I want you to understand this. When you have hands laid upon you, there is a particular calling for the office of Christ, His minister upon this world, to minister Jesus. That preaching is not supposed to be some intellectual endeavor, but a man who's called of God, who knows God, to share with the people out there, Christian or non-Christian, that Jesus Christ is who He said He is. And you lay your life down for that. It's not Rob any more than when the... the I got a uh, ticket a couple of weeks ago, Mississippi. I guess I shouldn't say that because all the parents say, oh, I wish the pastor didn't tell my teenager that he got a ticket. But I got a ticket, okay. And I was trying to kind of... I, ran, I barely ran through a stop sign, okay. I wasn't speeding. <laughs> And so this guy stops me, you know, with a blue car, you know, and you see the lights. And when he comes up, and uh, his name was Tom or something like that, I said, hey, Tom, how are you? What, what's going on here? Well, you, do you know you ran a stop sign? Well, I didn't know that. And he said, well, uh, well, okay, well, I won't give you the ticket. No, he gave me the ticket. <laughs> but it wasn't Tom. It was Clark, uh, Tibbyhawk County gave me the ticket. So God calls ministers to be mouthpieces because they're called. Uh, question, then there's, uh, there's the outward call. It's not just inward, God, you're calling me to be a minister. There's the outward that other people say, hey, you ought to be a minister of the gospel. Now, I'll tell you what, Rob, I had the outward call for, I mean, I had the inward call for, I had the outward call. No, I had the outward call, pardon me. Other people say, you ought to be a minister. I'm like, no way. My wife, and I'll talk about this later, you ought to be a preacher. No way. I don't want to be a preacher. And then I went to seminary because everybody else told me I ought to be a preacher. And then I don't know what a nervous breakdown is, but I'm that first semester at seminary, I'm thinking, what the heck am I doing here? And then the inward call came. But, but the outward call is very important. And let me tell you, Rob has proven to us, as we'll see, that he has the outward call. That we're going to have confidence that the church is laying hands upon a man. That God has called to this great ministry. Uh, so that's the call, call uh, to faith in Christ. But then there's the, the charge of the gospel minister. The call and the charge. What is the charge? Look at verse 2 there. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And there's a lot of stuff in there. But let me ask you something, sinners, Christian sinners. Have you discovered yet how much you need God to call somebody like an under-shepherd? To say, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Come on. 
And, and so the way he does, he says several things here. One is he says, uh, you are to preach the word. Rob, I'll tell you this, your primary responsibility, the primary responsibility of a minister is not to be a counselor. Now, I, I think pastors should be good counselors. I think you need to counsel. I mean, actually the word means to advise. That's what the word actually means. And you're advising them what the Bible says, hopefully, the gospel. But it's primarily not a counselor or a cheerleader or a life coach or an entertainer to amuse people, but never preaches the Bible. I mean, I, I heard a, a minister, a fairly well-known minister here recently say, and he's not, in our, he's not from a Reformed tradition, but he says this, you know, people just aren't going to listen to long sermons anymore. And so you need to keep it to about 15 minutes, and they're not going to listen to exegesis of a text. And I, I'm, t- I'm trying to tell you, I have nothing to say. If there, if, I'm glad I'm not a liberal preacher because liberals that don't believe the Bible are basically going to go, here's the teachings of Jesus, now be like Jesus. What I call the killer bees. Be good. Be righteous. Be, be, be. And uh, I, I don't know, what would I do every Sunday? You know what I get to do every Sunday? I go, well, what's the next text? He has to be a preacher of the word. And I believe the word's powerful. I believe the Holy Spirit can raise the de- you know, people from the dead. I certainly believe he can make you listen to a 35 or 40 minute sermon and keep your attention to sinners like me and Rob. John Calvin um, was preaching through 2 Samuel and he got to 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 27 and then he was sick for two years. And he get to preach for two years. And then he came back after two years. You know what his next uh, verse was? 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 28. <laughs> he believed in the preaching of the word. But a gospel preacher knows that preaching the word is preaching Christ. He's setting forth Jesus Christ in every text. Well, he must preach the word and he must reprove. Another word for reproved is to convict. William Barclay says this, Somehow or the other, the sinner must be made to feel disgusted with his sin. And Rob, I'll tell you this, and any other minister that's here, one of the greatest challenges is to convince people that they are sinners. Because what, what's the point? If you don't say, man, I need Christ. When I need Christ? Well, when I was 15 years old and I was at a camp, and I got, man, I shouldn't have been looking at porn. And now Jesus came into my life. I'm not saying he didn't come into your life. But who doesn't need Jesus today? But you see, unless somehow you're sitting under the preaching that's saying, no, every Sunday we need to worship because God did not give you what you deserve this week. How about that? And if you don't say, if you think, well, I, don't, I think I've done a great job this week. Then let me tell you what, just you don't need to go to church. You're fine. No, you do need to go to church. Because eventually maybe it'll hit you. So you must be reproved. Um, I, I read this book, uh, actually it's a liberal friend of mine, liberal minister when I was at Vanderbilt. There was me and then all the other chaplains. And uh, he gave me a book. He said, I don't read all this stuff, this Orthodox stuff. So you can have it all. I said, great, man, I'm picking through all these great books. 
And there's some book I'd never heard of, never heard of the guy, but he wrote it in, in the turn of the century, early 1900s. His name was William Jefferson. And he was talking about call to the ministry. He's talking to young men. And he starts out by saying this. Uh, now, young men, they're, they're bricklayers who lay bricks. And those bricks do exactly what the bricklayer says. Just chip it away a little bit, stick it in there, boom, you're ready to go. And then he said, then there are farmers who deal with plants. That's a little more difficult because they're alive. And you have to prune them, but you prune them. And if you know what you're doing, it bears fruit. And then he said, there are, there are farmers who have to deal with domestic, not, not domestic, well, farm animals. You know, donkeys and horses and things like that. And then he said, there are those, and that's a little more difficult. And then there are those who deal with circus animals. Like tigers and lions. And he said, now that's a little bit more difficult. And you have to be on your guard. And so he's just kind of working it all along. And then he said, but oh, you my son, you will be dealing with sinners. And there's a great art in convincing people that they need to be tamed by the gospel. Preach the word, reprove, rebuke. Um, you know what rebuke means, Rob? You know what the word means? Rebuke. Ambrose was the bishop uh, in the fourth century, I believe. Theodosius was the emperor, and he was a professing Christian. He was a friend of Ambrose. And in carrying out his duties, uh, he brought vengeance upon an enemy who humiliated him. He humiliated Theodosius. And, and so uh, when he went to war with this guy, he absolutely humiliated and annihilated this man. And Ambrose would not allow him back into the communion until he repented. And eight months later, he allowed him, the emperor, Theodosius, to lie prostrate before God and the congregation, repenting of his sin. There's a man who's a gospel man. He loved Theodosius. He loved God and said, put these two things together. Uh, to rebuke. Uh, you know, there's a guy named Scott Bryant that worked here for a long time. Some of y'all know Scott. I thank God for Scott Bryant. Uh, he was on staff here. And you know, when I would be in a meeting, and I was younger at that time, I think I've learned a little bit, but I thank God for Scott Bryant. We'd go out of a meeting and he'd say, I don't think you handled that well. <laughs> I'm like, really? Well, what did I do wrong? He said, okay, you want me to tell you? I said, yeah. He said about four things. Well, well just give me two of them so I can handle it. <laughs> tell me two after lunch. But I thank him. And you know what? You're blessed because this man had the courage to rebuke his pastor. And when he said these things, I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea I was doing that. He's faithful to rebuke. And then our text says that he exhorts. He encourages. After the rebuke comes the encouragement to look to Christ. It's interesting how a gospel preacher, he uses the word, is patient. Makruthumia which is a description of a person who never gets irritated, never despairs, and never regards any man beyond salvation. So he's patient. He encourages after he bukes. Richard Baxter said that every time we look upon our congregation, let us believingly remember that they are purchased of Christ's blood and therefore should be regarded by as with the deepest interest and the most tender affection. That means there's none of you who aren't reachable here. 
Everyone, I don't know what you're dealing with right now. You, Rob, I'm, I just need to say something to the congregation here, but uh, God, the, the faithful minister of the gospel is going to say, I don't care how far you've gone down the hole. The gospel is always, once the rebuke, once the law comes, there's always grace. Do you want to know that grace this morning? Well, that's why God gives us gospel ministers to preach that grace. Just a couple more things. I have to be briefer on these. There's the call, the charge, and the challenge. What is the challenge of a gospel preacher? Verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. Let me just say this. I think that the true Christian life, the evangelical faith, not ceremonies and not what the church tells you to do and you go out and do it, but a man or woman who's met Jesus Christ, that's what the evangelical faith is, you're born again. But now that you're born again and you're alive unto God, now you're having to deal with your sin all the time. You see, the, the penalty of sin is gone. But the power of sin still remains, and the gospel is able to break that power of sin. But it's only a gospel person who wants to honor Christ with their life, who says, Lord, would you show me all those sins you've paid for, past, present, would you show me all those sins? I read a book called The Evangelical Forfeit uh, many years ago. And this guy was predicting 20 years ago how in evangelicalism there's going to be three movements away from the faith. He said one would be toward right-wing Christian politics. The other would be toward going to megachurches and leaving smaller churches. And the third would be what he called the Canterbury Trail. A lot of evangelical people would become Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox. And his thesis on that is if you're not one who has the Spirit of God and is always encouraging you not to grieve Him or quench Him, if you don't have the Holy Spirit then you get off into all these other things because you don't want to deal with who you really are. And the gospel gives you the courage. You go, hey, what's wrong with me? And the Lord says, lots is wrong with you, but I love you. But not if you don't know Jesus. I guess old. And you give up and you fall back into pornography or you fall back into this or you do whatever anybody else tells you to do, but you don't deal with it. So that's the challenge. People will get people with, uh, you know, tell you what you want to hear. Then there's the cost of the pre- gospel preacher, verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Robbie tells you two things. He says, be sober-minded. He tells you to be sober-minded. And any Christian should be sober-minded. Robert McNamara said he was, the, uh, I think, the uh, Secretary of State for under Kennedy or maybe Secretary of Defense, he said that when we wake up in the morning, two-thirds of the world has been awake seeking to figure out how to do us harm. Every time you wake up, the world, two-thirds of the world has been thinking, how, they, how, can, they, how can they attack America? And uh, certainly, that's true, uh, if there's a real enemy named Satan. And so we need to be sober-minded. Palmer Robertson, my professor of Old Testament history and theology, he warned us men one day, he said, and I think I've told you this, he said, there's guys over here at St. Louis Hospital that are are doing, uh, they're studying to be brain surgeons. And I expect you to do every bit of the study they do, for they're only working on brains, but you are working on the souls of men. 
Sobering. But then he says that you are to endure suffering. And the suffering I think that you endure, endure and I think what uh, broke Christ's heart the most in the apostles is always suffering within the body of Christ. Within the covenant people of God. But you're to love them and to care for them. The last thing is the crown of a gospel preacher. So there's the call, the charge, the challenge, the cost, and then there's the crown. Boy, there's a crown. And, hey, whether you're a minister or not, isn't it wonderful that we have a life ahead of us beyond this world? That's what it says in our text, verse 7. I have fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, Rob, once you get hands laid on you, and you go out in the ministry, and you've already been ministering, after I die, and you get to be my age, you'll be doing the same thing I was doing when I first got hands laid on me. And then after you die, there'll be other young ministers who come in who do the same thing that you're doing. Which is basically saying, the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God has come, but not yet. And imagine if you're doing something over and over and over and over again, and, uh, and then there'll be people that are making progress. And man, you're thinking, man, they've got it. They love the Lord. They're following the Lord. And then 15 years later, they go, I don't believe any of this. Never did. Or people that you're saying, no, please don't have an affair. Don't do that. Don't do that. Hey, deal with your porn. Hey, don't be gossiper. Hey, hey, listen, start living by faith. Hey, start using the means of grace. Please. And they don't. And they perish. You've tried to be faithful to your charge. How, do, how, how is it that you're going to continue to go, I will preach Christ. I will preach Christ because it's up to him as to whether he will bear fruit with the preacher. Not the preacher. It's the Holy Spirit. And I believe if ever we needed a revival in America or anywhere in the West, it is now if God gives it. And so how do you deal with it, Rob? Because you see, that's, that's going to be your future. And it's a glorious thing because people, people are, there are people being changed. But even the ones that get changed, they still have problems, don't they? They're like sheep. And they like us are not too smart. Matter of fact, I told this, uh, this preacher, asked me one time, old preacher before I went to seminary, he said, now son, why do you want to be a preacher? He's like 80 years old. I said, well, and I knew I had to say something spiritual. So I said, well, I, I love God's sheep. And he said, well, that's wonderful, young man. Well, let me ask you something. Have you ever been bitten by a sheep? <laughs> I love all y'all. I don't care. Let me close with this, and, uh, and then we got to move forward. Last week, I, I, I left a quote on the bulletin. You remember the quote I left by Jim Elliott? Y'all have heard it. If, you're, if you've been in the evangelical church, he said uh, he, was, he was a missionary to the Aka Indians. I think it was the Aka. Uh, headhunters. Uh, and he lost his life. He was, he was speared to death at 26 or 7 years old. Had a beautiful wife, Elizabeth Elliott. Left behind a daughter. Uh, he's about my age now. Uh, and he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Y'all have heard that quote, right? He is no fool. He is no fool. He gives what he cannot uh, keep to gain what he cannot lose. Well, I'll close you with one other illustration by him. My, my professor at seminary, uh, Addison Salto, was his roommate in college. At Wheaton College, they were roommates together. 
And he told me this guy slept on the concrete floor. He did push-ups every day. He did sit-ups. Uh, he didn't eat a whole lot. And he said it really bothered Addison, but, but uh, Jim Elliott said, well, look, are you planning on being like a missionary to headhunters? And he said, well, no. <laughs> he said, well, then don't worry about it. But I know that's what God's calling me to do. Uh, but in his diary, he said this, and I, and I close with this. God, I pray you, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for you. Consume my life, God, for it is yours. I seek not a long life, but a full life like that of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.